to be commended for being here for these services, and I do appreciate that. And nobody's sitting by the timer, so I guess they're just going to let me go. So buckle up, and we may get through all 10 points. Well, I just blew that. <laughs> Doesn't matter all the good things he said about me before. 40 minutes is 40 minutes. In Disney's movie, Zootopia, is really the story about a rabbit by the name of Judy Hopps. She has dreams and goals of one day being the first bunny cop in a big metropolitan city. But her parents in this opening scene are really trying to discourage her from doing so. Her dad walks along and he says to her, Honey, do you know how you and your, me and your mother have been happy all of these years? She says, Darling, we've learned to settle. The blessing of complacency is you never fail if you never try anything new. Bunnies don't become cops. They just don't do it. Never. Her mom says it's dangerous out there and the likelihood of you becoming successful in that endeavor is nearly impossible. You should just give up your dreams. They're unable to persuade her, but sometimes when it comes to evangelism, we're sort of in this same way. We can be talked out of evangelism because we've never done that before. We haven't been successful. Our world's changing. People don't want the gospel as much as they used to. Christians just don't do that. Never. But for all of our reasoning and maybe even our excuses, we know what the Bible says about evangelism and how important it is. You just think about how all of the gospels end and even how the book of Acts begins. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Mark's account, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Luke's gospel has him saying, It was written and necessary for the Christ to suffer, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And even in John's gospel, as he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, he says some things which lets us know he was giving them the authority to go out and preach the message, which leads to the forgiveness of sins. John 20, 22 and 23. And then in Acts, right before the ascension, Jesus says, you start in Jerusalem, you go to Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what do you do? You go and you preach the gospel, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And you knew all of those verses and those concepts before you came in this morning. You already know that we've got to go out and teach the gospel and try to help other individuals come to know Jesus. That's not news to us. More than that, we know what we're supposed to teach. And what leads to a person coming to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And yet we struggle. Sometimes it's because we believe lies about evangelism. Things like this. I'm not talented in evangelism. In fact, evangelism is this sort of special gift that people have. You either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, what you should spend your time doing is funneling all of the evangelistic opportunities to that one person or that group of people in the congregation who are really good at it. But I'm just not that good at evangelism. If I had more knowledge, if I knew the verses, I talked to people about the Bible, but if I knew the verses and I could recall them in a moment's instance, I'd be better at evangelism because then and only then I'd be confident enough to share my faith with other people that are lost. I invite people, but they never come when I invite them. I've talked to people, but I've never stood in the baptistry and sealed the deal. And so maybe that's an indication that I'm just not good at evangelism. And none of those things, none of those things are true. What I hope we can do in the next 36 minutes or so is to encourage one another. That's what I want this lesson to be. I want it to be encouraging and show us that maybe we've not been as successful in evangelism as we would like to be because we've been looking at it from the wrong lens. 
And what I want to do is talk about the various ways we can find our place in evangelism. What are the various avenues in which each one of us can have a part in evangelism to the good and glory of God the way that God wants us to? He wants all of us involved in it, and maybe there are more ways that we can consider. I do have ten points this morning. I know some of y'all give me a hard time about this, but there are ten. I'm not being exhaustive here. There are more. And I think maybe in our zeal to try to teach people the gospel, we've broken evangelism down. So the only person that's truly evangelistic is the person that does the study. But what if that's a mistaken notion? What if your place in evangelism isn't the teacher, but in God's eyes is just as honored and just as valuable and important? Ten different ways we can find our place in evangelism. And we could have done more, but they're only giving me 40 minutes. So buckle up. We're going to go as fast as we can. Let's go. Number one. The bringer. This is the person that normally sends out the invitation to another person to come to worship. This is the person you can call them the inviter or the introducer, but they're the bringer when it comes to evangelism. They're the person that's not afraid to go up and talk to strangers, maybe at work or at a restaurant or in a different context and engage them in a conversation about Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, John talks about Jesus. In John 1, 1 through 5, and his divinity. And then John the Baptist, the immerser, he points out Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the disciples that hears that is Andrew. John 1, verse 40 down through verse 41. <coughs> the first thing Andrew does is finds his brother Peter. He finds him and he says, We've got to tell you about the Messiah named Jesus Christ. Every time you read about Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's not preaching a lesson. We've got no record of any miracle that he ever performed, no epistle that he ever wrote. And yet, Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. He brings the young boy in John chapter 6 with the bag lunch that eventually feeds the 5,000. The inquisitive Greeks that come up and say, sirs, we would see Jesus, John 12, 20 through 22. It's Andrew who arranges the meeting and brings them before Jesus. And then there's Philip. In John chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, he finds Nathaniel who's skeptical and he says, We found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. And we know Nathaniel's response. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And what Philip says to him is what bringers say to people all the time. Come and see. If your place in evangelism is a bringer, don't sell yourself short. Don't say to yourself, but I never do the study. I've never been the one to sit down and actually disclose the material to them. If you're a person, and there are people like this in every congregation, they just know how to get other people to say yes. They just know how to talk to other individuals and get them to accept the invitation. And when they come and they hear the singing and they hear the prayers and they encounter Jesus through the text, you're just as much involved in their conversion if it leads to them becoming a Christian as the person that does the study. Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter four, who has despised the day of small things? And sometimes we despise our efforts because we wish we had a different role. And I'm not telling you that if you're a bringer, that's all you can do. But I am saying that is doing something in and of itself. And that may very well be your role, your place in evangelism. And you shouldn't overlook it. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that says since the year 2000, almost one million and a half secretaries have been laid off and lost their jobs. They say it's a dying profession in the United States of America. And they go to talk about what secretaries do. They would schedule appointments, welcome individuals that came into the place of business and often arrange the meetings. And they said, now that we don't have secretaries in many places anymore, who's going to arrange the meetings? And if your place in evangelism is a bringer or an inviter, we need you. Because without you, who's going to arrange the meetings? 
You know the poem where the man says, when I get to that heavenly city and all the saints around me appear, I hope someone comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. If you're a bringer, that'll be your joy in eternity. You do have a role in evangelism, and it is inviting other people to come to hear the gospel, to hear the good news. And you shouldn't look down on that. Now, here's number two. You may be an encourager. In Acts chapter two, Peter preaches the sermon. And after he's done, Acts 2 and verse 40 says that with many other words, he testified and exhorted or warned them, saying, save yourselves from this perverse generation. Peter warned and encouraged and some individuals when it comes to evangelism, their role, their place is they serve as an encourager. They encourage people to respond to Jesus and they remind them of certain truths like this. If you become a Christian, all of your sins will be forgiven. It'll be a blessing for you to come into a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. And they speak to other individuals about the blessings of becoming a saint. Acts chapter 13, when Paul's in Antioch of Pisidia preaching that sermon, he says to the Jews that are gathered there in the Gentiles, through this man, Jesus has preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, you can be delivered from all the things which you never could under the law of Moses. He's encouraging them. The encourager comes along and, in, and lets other individuals know you're not going to be the first person who's given up a lot to follow Jesus. They come alongside these individuals and tell them that it's worth it and that they can and that they must. And maybe that's your place in evangelism. You're not the person that sits down and actually does the study or even does the baptizing or even does the inviting. But your role is that you come along and you encourage. Look at Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about the various gifts that the Christians have been given. Romans 12, verse 4, really down through about verse 9. And one of the gifts that he says that individuals possess is the gift of exhortation. Now, everybody's supposed to encourage. Hebrews 3 and verse 13, encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But isn't it true that there are some people that just excel in this area? There are some people that just are able to lift others up and build them up. And that's the role of the encourager in evangelism. Who are they to encourage? They often encourage in two different lanes. On the one hand, they encourage the lost person to respond to Jesus's message. But then on the other hand, they encourage the saved person to stick with it, to not give up, to continue teaching. This isn't sort of a proxy Christianity where we cheer other people on as they do our evangelism for us. But it is to say, if this is your role, don't despise it. Sometimes as people age, they can't do the things that they once could. They can't go out and knock doors. They can't go out and talk to other people. Maybe they're in an assisted living facility or something like that. And when they hear sermons on evangelism, they have a sort of guilt trip mentality that says, I'm just not engaged. I'm not involved. If you were on a sports team and you broke your leg and you could no longer play that season and all you could do on the sideline was cheer on your team and fill up water bottles, you'd be as much a part of the team as those individuals that are on the field. You say, I write cards. I'm encouraging other people. I'm reaching out to people, asking how the Bible studies are going. You're just as much a part of the team as the person that's doing the study. You're just as involved as the others. Your role in evangelism may be to build up and to edify. It's what Barnabas and Paul did on their missionary tour. They go back in Acts 14. They circle back. Look at Acts 14 and notice verse 22. Paul and Barnabas circle back, and what do they do? They exhort the Christians to continue in the faith, and they say, through many tribulations, we must inherit the kingdom of God. What was their role? It was exhortation. It was encouragement. It was building up. Here's number three. Your place in evangelism may be to be a teacher. 
Now, I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians 12 for this first, because sometimes this is where we mistake this. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's argument is every member of the body has a function. <coughs> and he uses the human body as a metaphor for the spiritual body of Christ. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 29. Paul has some rhetorical questions to which we know the answers. Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, do all teach and do all work miracles? Question, what's the answer to the questions that Paul is asking in 1 Corinthians 12, 29? Yes or no? No. And yet we sometimes believe that the answer is yes. How many times have you heard or even said every Christian should be able to teach somebody the gospel? Every member of the church should be able to sit down and do a Bible study. Paul says that's not the case. Are all teachers? Paul says no. And we need to appreciate the same. But while Paul does say no, everybody's not a teacher. Our response to the rhetorical question is right. There are some that can and they should. There are two extremes when it comes to the role of teaching and evangelism. One extreme is to suggest everybody in the congregation should be a teacher. The other extreme is to fail to see we often have more teachers than we realize and appreciate. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 and 12, in a similar context, Peter's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says the one that teaches should do it to the good and glory of God. Let him speak as the very oracles of God. And maybe your role in evangelism is a teacher. What does that mean? There are some people that know the Bible well, and not only know the Bible well, but they have a way of just boiling down the information and making it simple enough for other people to digest it and to understand it. Paul says that's a spiritual gift, Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, when Paul says that in verse 8, right before that in verse 4, he says, every member in the body does not have the same function. This isn't everybody's function, but it is some individual's function, and if it's your function, you should use it. Somebody says, I believe I could teach. I know the Bible, but when I get ready to teach somebody, what material should I use in evangelism? You know, there are a lot of books and pamphlets. I've got an office full of just different study helps and materials. And here's what I found. To the degree that any study aid or help, or even if you say, I'm just going to take the Bible, but the study helps and aids that brethren have written to the degree that they're true to Scripture that they don't manipulate individuals into obedience or twist the biblical text to the degree that they align with Scripture and merely are a guide and not a substitute to the Bible. All of the materials work. Listen, all of the materials work when we work the materials. Sometimes people think there's a silver bullet if we just had these books, if we just had this material. All of the material works when we use it. And so we should. Romans 12 and verse 6, Paul says you have these gifts. Use them and exercise them if you're a teacher. You need to teach. You need to use that gift and not be discouraged because maybe some individuals who you've taught haven't responded. And guess what that also doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you'll always seal the deal. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Corinthians are dealing with preacheritis in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul, he's trying to help them overcome this deadly disease. And so he says a famous thing that we know in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. He says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God was always giving the increase. That means under all of that, God was always giving the increase. But notice the next verse, verse seven. He says, so neither is he that plants anything or he that waters, but God that gives the increase. He that plants and he that waters are one and they'll receive their reward. We're fellow laborers together with God in verse nine. What makes evangelism successful is not the giftedness or the ingenuity of the one doing the teaching. 
He or she is not depending on their cleverness or skill or wit, but they have a confidence in the infallible word of God, which says the things that the Bible says Jesus did. We really believe he did. And we want to try to get those things across to you. Paul says teachers aren't anything in this regard. They're not any more special than other individuals that find their place in evangelism, but they need to find their place and do it. He that plants and he that waters, they're not anything. It's God who gives the increase. If you're a teacher, we need you to teach. If you could potentially teach, you should get involved. What if I've lost my zeal for teaching? What if I'm discouraged in teaching? Here are a few things I should keep in mind. Number one, how do you get your zeal for teaching? Remember, it's a privilege and not a pain. Luke 147, Mary says her soul magnifies and rejoices in the Lord. And if we're going to be involved in evangelism as far as teaching goes, We've got to keep our joy in the Lord. And remember, this is a privilege, not a pain. We really are shaped by the stories we believe. And in evangelism, Christians have the best story to tell because it's true and it's from heaven. But number two, we need to remember our role. The goal in evangelism is not to really bring people to Jesus. It's to bring Jesus to them. That makes it that makes it easier. It's not our responsibility to change bad soil into good soil. Our responsibility is to scatter enough seed in the world. Mark 4 and verse 20, that the good soil won't miss out on their opportunity to hear the saving message of God. And so in John 6, Jesus says in 44 and 45, they'll all be taught by God. Everyone that hears my words and believes them is drawn and comes to me. We don't bring anybody to Christ. We bring Christ to them and he does the converting. But not only that, we need to realize we don't have to know everything to know enough of the gospel to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. You may not have the genealogy in the first 10 chapters of Chronicles memorized. Well, there's good news for you. You don't need to know that to lead somebody to Jesus. Listen, if you know Jesus and what he's done and how people should respond to him, I, we should all grow in the grace and knowledge. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. I believe we've complicated it. We sometimes make it more difficult than it has to be. And I'm not really interested in easy believism or dumbing down and watering down the gospel. But I also don't want to make it any more difficult than God does for people to respond to him. And you don't have to become a biblical expert or an encyclopedia to say Jesus is Christ. And when you die to self and come to him, he saves you. And then they learn from there. Remember, you improve in teaching by teaching. Anybody say, I wish I was a better Bible teacher. That's only going to happen the more you teach, the more you use the gift. And also remember, Jesus didn't convert everybody he taught. Somebody says, well, I'm the best event. You take my material, you do my way, you'll be 100% success rate. Well, that's better than Jesus. Listen, Jesus had a church eat church service in John 6, and they didn't stay for his second service. They left after the biscuits and fish. He didn't convert everybody he taught, and we won't either. Your success and my success in evangelism is when we evangelize, period. The way people respond to the gospel is solely up to them. It's not our responsibility to make them do anything, but it's our responsibility to introduce them to Jesus. We've got more teachers than we realize, more individuals that are equipped with the gift to share the gospel, to boil down the New Testament truths and get them out into the hearts of people. And if that is your place, you should make sure to get busy using it. Number next, there's prayer. We all should be praying, but prayer in the role of evangelism, if this is your place in evangelism, is vitally important, and we can't do it without you. Paul traveled the world preaching the gospel, floating on the prayers of his brethren. Nobody asked for prayers more than the Apostle Paul. 
Romans 15, 30 through 32, he says, strive together with me in your prayers. What does that mean? The Romans aren't going with Paul, but there's a sense in which they are to the degree that they're praying for his work and his effort. Paul says we're partners together in this endeavor. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, Paul says, praying always in the spirit with all supplication. Pray also for me that I might preach the gospel and make it bold and plain as I ought to speak. We should be praying. Alvin Reed in his book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, says people in the world are more shocked by our silence than they are offended by our message. They can't believe that we're religious and we go to church and we won't say anything to them about the gospel. But he says this is one of our problems. We struggle to talk to other people about the gospel because we don't even talk to each other about Jesus. As soon as the last amen is said, our conversation shifts to secular things, worldly things, not wrong in and of themselves. But we're uncomfortable even saying his name outside of these walls. He says we won't be successful doing so when it comes to prayer. Your role in evangelism might be prayer. But how are you going to pray for people when you don't even know who are doing the Bible studies? We need to be talking to other people, not to boast, but to beg to say, I'm engaged in a Bible study in which you pray on my behalf. That things would go as God would have them to. What kinds of things should you pray about? Number one, pray that schedules remain clear. You know, this is a big hurdle in evangelism. Somebody says, I want to study the Bible, and not before long, their job schedule shifts. Now they can't study. Something happens, and they've got to move away. Pray that their schedules can remain clear. Number two, pray that hearts remain open. You've ever studied the gospel with somebody? They go home, they come back for the next study, they're a totally different person. What happened? They talk to somebody. Somebody told them, stay away from those people in churches of Christ. Pray that hearts stay open. Number three, pray that they clearly see Jesus. I really don't care. Somebody says, how do you all see it in churches of Christ? I don't want you to have a church of Christ interpretation, just a Christ interpretation. What does Jesus say in his word? And pray that they won't give up when things get difficult. Turn your Bible to Colossians chapter four and notice what Paul says to the church there about his role in evangelism and their role in prayer. Colossians chapter four, beginning with verse two, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer and watch in it with thanksgiving, praying also for me. And notice this next part that a door may be open for me so that I might effectually communicate the gospel as I ought to speak. Brethren, God's not asking us to break down closed doors. He's just asking us to walk through the ones that he opens. And if prayer is your place in evangelism, don't ever skip a day. Don't miss a day praying for the Bible studies that are going on. We ought to publish it in the bulletin to the degree that we can. Pray for individuals that are engaged in these Bible studies. And that may be your role. Every morning you get up and you pray toward that end. And when a person responds in faith, you'll be just as involved as the person who immersed them in water. Because those prayers matter to God. Jesus did this. In John 17, Jesus was praying for the evangelistic efforts of the disciples that would take place long after he ascended to heaven. And he prayed mightily that they be bold and courageous and remain unified. And when we walk in his steps, we'll succeed. Every Christian should pray, but for some folks, it just comes easier to them. It does. There are some individuals who find communicating with God and pouring out their hearts to God in prayer as a joy and not a drudgery. We can say as much about Epaphras. <coughs> in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul said about Epaphras, he struggles mightily in prayer to God on your behalf. And there are members of the church, they are prayer warriors, prayer machines. And we need you praying about evangelistic endeavors. 
I'm not telling you that in any one of these 10 areas that once you find your area, you should never broaden your scope and serve in other ways. I'm just telling you when you find your place, don't despise it. Excel in it. Do what you can to the glory of God. And that might be prayer. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse 11. Paul says about the Corinthians, you are helping by your prayers. Prayer helps. Prayer helps in everything, especially in evangelism. So your role in evangelism, your place may very well be in the prayers that you, you pray. Number, I don't know, is this number five? Number five, a keeper. You know, Neil introduced me to this idea, bringers, teachers, and keepers, and I added seven for good measure. But this is an important one. The keepers, who are these folks? These are the folks that when a person obeys the gospel, they help to make sure that this person sticks with it. They may not be on the front end of the invitation. They're not a bringer. Maybe they're not the person that sat down and did the study, but they're the person that once you come into the doors, they're with you. If this is your role, remember the difference you're making by the enthusiastic smile that you give, by the informative and interesting new Converse Bible class that you teach, by the invitation into your home so that this new convert can spend time with you. It matters. That may be your place in evangelism, but it counts. Don't overlook it. Don't despise it. Colossians 1.23, Paul says, if you remain steadfast and be not moved away, you'll receive that inheritance and be blameless like he talks about in verse 22. And your role may be as a keeper. You may be able to help individuals stick with it because, listen, sometimes as soon as somebody obeys the gospel, they slip out the back door and we say, how do we keep these people? How do we retain them? We need the keepers. We need the people that are comfortable building relationships with new Christians after they've obeyed the gospel. And that may be your role. Don't quit. Encourage. Build up. And ask individuals to help you in that endeavor. Here's, here's number six. A restorer. <coughs> we talked about this last night at length, and so we won't belabor the point here. But there just are some people in local congregations that are terrified to talk to a stranger. They wouldn't feel comfortable inviting the waitress or the waiter or the person at Walmart, but the people that they know that have drifted, they don't have any problem reaching out to them. When Simon the sorcerer couldn't get rid of his sorcerous ways in Acts chapter 8 and he wanted to buy the power back, you remember Peter has that conversation with him in Acts 8 and he says, Repent and pray that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He's encouraging Simon to return and come back and to repent. And James tells us in James 5, 19 and 20, that's as much a part of soul saving as reaching out to somebody who's never obeyed the gospel. Your place in evangelism may be that you're a restorer. You know people that once attended, that are in the community, in and around the community, and your role is you call those folks. You reach out to them. You feel comfortable because you know them well. You're not afraid to have those hard conversations that some people shy away from, and that may be your role. You may be the person wearing out your hand and writing cards to those people that we haven't seen in a long time. And you say, but I never talked to anybody new. I've never reached out to somebody who's never been in these doors. Well, maybe you can get involved in that regard. But this is as much evangelism as the other. Number seven. Your example. Sometimes this one gets a bad rap. And I know we sometimes can misunderstand what the New Testament means and doesn't mean when it talks about being a godly example. In evangelism, when we say you can be an example, we don't just mean tidy morality for the sake of being a good person. But the New Testament does teach that by living the, the godly Christian life, you're saying something for God in a mighty way. Turn your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I think this is the best text we really can look at to illustrate this point because the Thessalonians, just by their godly character, almost put the apostles out of a job. 
They live so well before their contemporaries that Paul says we almost don't have to say anything. Notice verse 8. From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God spreads everywhere. Paul says, so we don't have to say anything. Why? For they themselves show of us what type of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and wait for a son from heaven who he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. What happened? The Thessalonians lived so countercultural to the other individuals in and around Macedonia. When Paul and those others showed up with the gospel, they said, we already know about that. How do you know? Well, look at how godly these folks are living. They missed idol worship today to worship with you guys. They're different. They're changed. Your example can do that. My example can. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your father in heaven. Keep being a good employee. When they bring your food late at the restaurant, be a good tipper. Keep being a volunteer at the ball field and doing the things that you can. And when given the opportunity, let them know that you do it because you serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it does make a difference. Peter says if he won't come to the worship service, he can be warned without a word. What does that mean? First Peter three, one and two, by the godly conduct of his wife. What if he won't listen to a sermon? Gospel meeting, YouTube link won't get him. Her husband doesn't believe. Peter says one thing will help. Your godly character. Listen, if it'll help with her husband, it'll help with anybody on the outside of Jesus Christ. The influence is in the godly living. Sometimes we wonder about the wrong things. Somebody's going to ask me something I don't know and I won't know the answer. What if they asked me about this and I wish I just had a ready recall. And sometimes we fail to see what God really wants us to do is focus on obeying the verses we already know. Sometimes it's our disobedience to those verses that keep people from ever wanting to have a conversation with us to begin with. We love 1 Peter 3.15 and for good reason. Be ready to give a defense, but that's not exactly what Peter says. Peter doesn't mean know every verse in the Bible about everything. The first thing Peter says is sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That is, live a consecrated life and then be ready. Because people can't help but ask a person that does that, why do you have the hope that you have within you? And then we can talk about answers. We can stockpile all the Bible knowledge we want, but nobody is ever going to ask us anything until we look like we're from out of town. And that starts by being this example. Your life, your role in the Christian life, and this is true for every Christian, but be a good godly example. Sometimes people say, I just knew you were a Christian. There's something different about you, and that matters. We can't be God's silent partner. Eventually, words have to enter the equation, but don't sell yourself short on being different in school, being a different employee, praying over your food in front of other individuals. I feel sometimes we, sh we shy away in those moments when we can really say a mouthful for Jesus by the way that we live and we want to do some great thing for God. And like the prophet told Naaman, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, you would have done that. But just do this. Live for Jesus. The hardest things in Christianity are the simplest things to comprehend. And one of those is you live the godly Christian life because that speaks volumes. I mean, you might be a sender or a supporter. Every Christian is supposed to give according to what they have. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse 12. Second Corinthians nine, six and seven. God loves a cheerful giver. But there are some that are just in a unique position to give bountifully. Turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. I know the screen says chapter 4, and we're going to look at that too. But go to Philippians chapter 1 and notice what Paul says about the church at Philippi. Again, they're stationary right there where they are. But notice what Paul says to them, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my request with joy. Notice verse five for your fellowship or participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says the Philippians gave and contributed to his mission work and they were fellow participants in the gospel. Now, fast forward and go to Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. Notice verse 15. Paul says, when you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity. Now, notice verse 17. Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Here's the question. Why are the Philippians getting credit toward their spiritual account when they haven't gone out and preached and done anything? Because when they put the money in the plate. It wasn't spiritual charity. They were partnering with Paul in his missionary endeavors. And Paul says, we're co-workers. We're teammates. Where did Paul get that from? He got it from Jesus. And Luke 8, 1 through 3, we read about those influential women who supported Jesus' ministry out of their funds and means so that he and the others could do the work. Every Christian is supposed to give, but there are some individuals. Paul says this is a spiritual gift. Romans 12 and verse 8, that are so financially blessed by God that they can freely give to his cause and it helps the gospel to go forward. And maybe that's your place in evangelism. Maybe your place in evangelism is to be as benevolent as you can and to send others. If you can't go, maybe you can send. Maybe you can give surplus and help other individuals so that they can give their full time and attention to the preaching and proclamation of the gospel, and that matters. It's not lazy. It doesn't mean that, well, I just throw money. I knew a lady one time just as benevolent as she could be, and she felt guilty. She was a shut, and she said, Hiram, I never do anything anymore. All I do is throw money at things. I just throw money. I can't do any. I can't go. I can't teach. I'm homebound, and all I do now is just throw money. And I took her to Romans 12 one day, and I said, well, what does Paul say? Paul says, he that gives should do it with cheerfulness, and not everybody's in your position. Not everybody has this gift. Don't feel guilty, but instead be thankful that you're in such a position that you can. And Paul says, when you do it, fruit abounds to your account. Here's number nine. You can be a missionary. I don't know. We don't talk about this enough. We talk about we need preachers. We need elders. But, you know, we also need missionaries, both domestic and foreign, other individuals that are encouraged to leave home and go other places and share the gospel. Maybe that's your place in evangelism. Maybe others will find their way home because you left home. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch is booming. They've got more preachers than they can stand. They've got so many preachers that they send out who we might consider the two most talented and the best that they have. The Spirit says, separate Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to do. And they go out and they preach the gospel and they change the world. Maybe your role in evangelism is to leave home. Leave the comforts of what you know and go somewhere else and preach the gospel. It doesn't have to be a foreign place. There are unreached places right here in the United States. And maybe that's your role to go out and tell people about Jesus who've never known him before. Somebody says, I can't do that. I can't eat the food. I can't learn the culture. I can't learn the language. I can't do that. But what if you took some trips? Listen, Paul took three trips that we know about in the New Testament. And we've been talking about them for almost 2,000 years. What if you took a trip every year? If you take two or three trips in your lifetime, God will never forget you. Paul remembered his work. We remember Paul's work for what he did. And what if you just said, you know what? Every summer, I'm going to give my life to going over. I'm going to go on a short-term mission trip. I can't go and live over there, but I'm going to do my part. I'm going to go a week or two. My family, we're going to support a missionary. We're going to go out and do evangelistic work. Maybe that's your place in evangelism. 
It'll make a difference. It counts and it's effective. Paul took Silas and Timothy and Titus with him and changed those men's lives because they were on the mission field and they were challenged and it pushed them beyond their bounds. It won't mean you're better than other people. Sometimes somebody says, well, you're the missionaries, you're the real heroes. No, that's what this whole lesson's arguing against. What if we just stop ranking our roles in evangelism and all found our place and realized we're in a team effort, co-laborers together with God and do what we can to his good and his glory. Here's the last one. Number 10, hospitality. Your role in evangelism, your place in evangelism may be simply being hospitable. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 says that those that extend hospitality sometimes entertain angels unaware. And maybe that's your role. Romans 12 and verse 13, Paul says, make sure to show hospitality one to another. 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality without grumbling. Maybe you invite people into your home. You prepare a meal. It's what Matthew did right after Jesus called him. Jesus called Matthew up from the tax collector's booth and said, follow me. Matthew did. And you know what the next verse says? Matthew had a dinner in his home. And what was Jesus doing in his home right after that? Teaching tax collectors and sinners how to become Christians and how to obey the gospel. This is what happens in evangelism. When we flood our homes with saints and sinners alike, they get to, in a sense, try on Christianity to see if it fits. When they hear us laugh and they see our struggles and realize that we really are humans just like them, they get to see if Christianity fits and if they really would like to be among our number. They get to see us out of the normally scheduled times when we're together, and it can make a difference and change their lives. I know the chicken wings won't convert them. They eventually have to hear the gospel, but it's a good start. It gets them on the road to knowing who Jesus is and what he's all about, and maybe they want to be interested in that. Hospitality is a role that some individuals can play. They cook meals. They have this hosting spirit about them. And they say, well, I've never taught anybody. I've never done anything evangelistically. Have you had people in your home? Do you labor toward that end? Because if you do, you're just as evangelistic as those that teach. Matthew Shipri was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and he realized that he could no longer work the job that he had previously worked. He sat on his couch and wondered, what can I do now? And so he just started selling stuff on eBay. And eventually he got down to this VCR that was in his basement and he, he sold it to an 86-year-old man. He thought that was all he was ever going to hear about it until the man, 86 years old, wrote him a note back and he said, thank you for selling me this VCR. He said, I've watched so many things on this that I thought I would never get to see again. He said, my retirement party from 25 years ago, I've never seen that on tape and I've watched it. He said, my wedding, my children growing up, tapes of my anniversary, all things that I thought were long forgotten because you sold me this VCR. My life has been forever changed. And I think evangelism is like that. This was just a routine interaction. He was just doing business as usual, and it changed somebody's life. And we just think sometimes, my role is so small in the body. I'm not a great evangelist. Nobody's ever going to remember my name. I just have people over. I just pass out cards or tracts. I just pray about other individuals. And we think our efforts are so small, but they are mighty in the hand of God. And maybe at the end of somebody's life, when they roll the tape back, they'll be thankful that we were involved, that we were present, that we were there. God does the converting, but through our efforts, we helpfully arrange the meeting. Find your place in evangelism because every one of us has one. And it means something to God. Thanks for your attention this morning.